The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don Bellarente. You can follow me on Twitter at Don Bellarente. I'm joined by Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You can follow Jesse on Twitter at That's So Jesse. We're also joined by Tyler Ball. Hey, Tyler. Hey, what's going on, man? Busy week. I know, man. I know. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at TA Ball One. You can also follow the show, Know the Score, on Twitter at KTS Pop. You can also listen, download, and subscribe to the podcast through CSPN.us, also through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. So we'll get right into it. Of course, we had week one of the NFL season kickoff. Um, I guess the overall theme of the weekend would be not very good offensive football. A lot of bad-looking offensive lines, which resulted in a bunch of bad-looking quarterbacks. So as far as the big national games, the Packers defeated the Seahawks 17-19. to uh, This game was a struggle offensively as it was 3 nothing midway through the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Packers got their first touchdown via a, a fumble recovery at the five, and Todd Montgomery ran it in from there. Uh, Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers hooked up on the 30-yard touchdown pass where Aaron Rodgers caught the Seahawks slipping, caught him off sides. Of course, he goes for the home run. They connected. And the Seahawks, with their poorest offensive line, just could not get anything going, couldn't protect Russell Wilson, could not uh, get any running game going. So we'll start with Jesse. Were you surprised? The Seahawks struggling so much um, on offense. We know that they've kind of – tried to become more explosive, tried to replace beast mode, but it seems like they just don't spend enough money on offensive linemen, and it's starting to catch up with them. Right. There's always, I feel like with the Seahawks, they always do that really slow start to the season. Everyone asks, you know, has the window closed, and or, you know, is this, you know, or is, yeah, they've always had problems with the offensive line, so I'm not really surprised by the way they start, and I'm not really surprised by this, ongoing game that happens every year between the Packers and the Seahawks because, of course, it's a new division, and they've always had some very interesting or very defensive games between the two. Um, but, yeah, you're, they're slinging it against Aaron Rodgers, and with the Seahawks, it seems like, eh, who needs, a good offense? who needs a good offensive line to protect the quarterback so that he can make plays with very decent weapons. So that's what you got with Seahawks and the, the Packers. Now, Tyler, I'll bring you in to uh, talk about the Packers. Uh, it's hard to gauge if their defense, which has kind of been their Achilles heel the past couple of seasons, is really that good or if the offensive line for the Seahawks was just that bad. I kind of talk about what the Packers did, uh, you know, how they looked in your eyes as far as, uh, you know, first week and uh, playing against a tough uh, defense. So it's kind of hard to, you know, count. You know, anything against Aaron Rodgers uh, playing against the Seahawks, I think, he, you know, going up against the best secondary in the league. So his numbers were pretty respectable. Well, it's the same old song, really, with Seattle um, over the past really three or four seasons. Um, you know, this game was probably one uh, three weeks ago when uh, George Fant uh, went down and tore his ACL. Uh, that pretty much put um, – that pretty much put Russell Wilson in panic pretty much, um, you know, all game. Um, Seattle managed 90 yards 
18 carries and 59 of them came on uh, two runs, uh, one by uh, Chris Carlson and then another one was about 20, uh, about 27 yards on a broken play by Wilson. So they were just, uh, you know, it was just a scramble. And that's, you know, credit to the defense, um, you know, credit to, uh, you know, Wilson practically giving Green Bay uh, six points when uh, he fumbled at his own six-yard line. And, of course, Packers scored on the next play. So you take those seven points away, and it's still a very competitive ball game. Um, you know, even so, it's still a one-score game as it as it ended out. Um, it's hard to gauge whether Green Bay is really, really, you know, really improved or really good at all. Um, you know, they just made enough plays when they had to, particularly with uh, Michael Bennett. I mean, it always helps when you have Aaron Rodgers, and then you have Jordy Nelson, who's still in pretty good playing shape. Randall Cobb, still in kind of decent, good playing shape. Um, but yeah, Aaron Rodgers throws it where he wants to, and that's all you really need, no? Well, uh, this actually has probably been the healthiest that the Packers have been actually coming into the season at receiver in a couple oh, of that's years. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you know, Randall Cobb getting injured whenever that happens, there's always a freak injury to him. And then Jordan Nelson with the ACL, I think not mm-hmm. last year, but the year before. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I think, you know, offensively, I don't think we're going to be worried about them. Like, like I said, their defense has kind of been their Achilles heel the past couple of years. And we'll just have to see if they've improved enough to uh, get over that hump. You know, it looks like Stafford is going to be a problem in their division, so they're going to definitely have to have their secondary on point when they go up against Detroit two times this year. So we'll move on to the other big national game, which was the Dallas Cowboys defeating the New York Giants on Sunday Night Football. 19-3 to was the score in that particular contest. Uh, the Cowboys using the legs of Ezekiel Elliott to a team of over 100 yards to basically beat down the Giants, keep the ball away from them, um, wasn't really a lot of pretty offense in this game either. Uh, kind of like the same story, the Giants and Seahawks, both teams with really bad offensive lines, which made for really bad quarterback play. Uh, that Prescott uh, looked to you know, be more in control of the game as he was calling a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. Dallas was running more of a no-huddle uh, check-with-me offense. He seemed to kind of be growing in that, in that sense of his game. But he still had a hard time finding Des Bryant. So, resident Cowboys fan. Tyler, does that worry you that, you know, it's been a couple of seasons now and he still can't connect with this? No, um, not really. Um, I, to be honest with you, this game was, uh, um, it was kind of a mixed bag overall. I really don't have an opinion on it. Um, number one, he did find, uh, Bryce Butler deep. Um, and to be honest, Janoris Jenkins has just owned Des Bryant. Uh, just being able to match up with him physically and just knocking him off his pattern, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage. So I think it's more of a credit to Jenkins more than it is to just not connecting with uh, with um, Prescott. The thing about this this game um, is that you know you you take advantage of what's being given to. Unfortunately, Dallas just didn't finish drives. Um, you know, there were there were instances where he uh, Prescott just missed throws. I think that that's kind of due to the lack of a lot of play in the preseason. Um, they did establish a running game with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, 
you know, they, they were able to move the ball up and down the field, but there were some times where I felt that they could have uh, made some better play calling, particularly um, inside the red zone. So I think they cleaned that up and they'll be ready for the Broncos uh, next week, which is actually going to be a pretty interesting game when you think about it. Um, you know, they're going to match up against – the defense is going to match up against Trevor Simeon. We're going to get there. We're gonna get there. Don't give it. I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna flip this back. though. this is this is what I'm. This is something that has to do with it because I keep. Well, remember he's going up against a keep. Dez is going up against a keep to lead. So mm-hmm. now you got an upgrade as far as your secondary. So the question is now who is he going to turn to? Is he going to turn to Whitten again, which he did, or is he going to find somebody else like a Terrence Newman or uh, as I mentioned before, Bryce Butler? Mm-hmm. So I think. That is going to be what's going to be interesting to see is that, you know, when, you know, because Des is going to be facing a lot of high end uh, defensive backs with this schedule. So I don't think that it's a major point of a concern. It's just that those other Dallas receivers are going to have to step up. All right. Now, Jesse, on Sunday night, we saw a lot of, uh, of the classic Eli face as he was getting harassed, sacked, pressured, uh, wasn't able to connect on the outside with the outside receivers. I mean, I think Sterling Shepard had the most receptions on the team. Uh, are the Giants in trouble? Uh, I'm not sure if so much as in trouble as... Uh, hmm, that's a good question. I don't think it's... Like I said, not so much as trouble as it's the first game of the season. We'll see how this pans out, but that wasn't a good performance by that offense. Um, you know, I... So watch as well as watching the game. Just and Dallas's defense took care of um, the Giants on the night. So, I mean, the, the defense, the New York Giants defense looks decent, but it's, I, I feel it's too early to tell. Before, like, oh my God, the only team like I can say are in absolute trouble are the Jets. If we're perfectly honest, because you know, if you saw that play where old dude runs it back and then he gets he runs to his own teammates, just the Jets being the Jets, I don't think they're in those dire straits. But too early to tell. Well, uh, let it be known that, you know, Odell did not play. He did warm up, but they deemed him not fit to, you know, play in this particular game. So I would hate for the Giants to be that reliant on one particular player that their whole, you know, offensive system just shuts down. But that is a very compelling case for the agents of Odell Beckham to make when they start this contract negotiation. Oh, yeah. as someone said, he shouldn't play. He shouldn't get back on the field until they give him all of his money and then some, which I agree with, because they looked terrible that on the night, man. Right. So Jesse, the Baltimore Ravens has such a great effort this past weekend in Cincinnati, defeating the Bengals twenty to nothing. The defense pitched a shutout, getting back to the days of old with Baltimore. Can you just talk about your team and the efforts that they put up this past Sunday? Um. I've always liked Andy Dalton as an undercover Ravens player, you know, just throwing interceptions to our, you know, just to any or defensive back or, in our case, also to CJ Mosley as well. But I'm really happy that they were able to shut down AJ Green because he always finds a way to play a really great game against us. So that was the one real pleasant surprise I got from the game. I didn't expect the Ravens offense, especially Joe Flacco, to throw the ball as often just because I know that back is still bothering him. So I wasn't really upset by the lack of throws, but the running game, which they never, ever want to go to, was really on display. And I, that, I was happy. I was pleased. I don't think that's going to happen again, or a game like that. Maybe, okay, maybe next week against Cleveland. But um, 
It was the first shutout in the NFL. Wait, first Ravens shutout in the in the first game of the season since like two thousand nine. So, hey, bring them more like that. I'm I'm pleased. I I like football like that. Well, especially for my team. Um, this may be a case of um, kind of like Tony Romo. And, you know, the year where he was coming off the back surgery and, you know, they had to run the ball a little bit more than Dallas was used to. And they had that good 13 and three season, you know, or 12 and four season, whatever year it was. So that may kind of turn out to be a blessing in disguise for um, Joe Flacco, him not being able to throw and being able to risk his body. And it may allow, you know, the Ravens to be able to use their defense a little bit more to their advantage and keep this, you know, games close or the scores low. And then if they get the lead, they just run the ball out because they look really good running the ball. And they, we've been saying for years, like just run the ball, run the ball down their throats because when they start airing it out, everything goes to complete pieces. So it's finally, if they can keep going, if the run game can keep up like that, you know, I'd be highly, highly, you know, highly pleased with the season just because I always set my expectations so low. So I could be, um, so I can be just like surprised at the end of the season. So, <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of a team who decided to air it out and things fell to pieces, that would be my favorite team, the Washington Football Team, oh, as yeah. they failed to win another home opener under Jay Gruden as they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, thirty to seventeen. Basically, a game that the skins could yeah, not get any one type from, of one way with the uh, foundation. Tyler, uh, any type of Running game for me. They, I said last week that the you know Eagles defensive line was really good, and they proved to be that. They put a lot of pressure on Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk Cousins felt a lot of pressure at times that kind of wasn't there, so he was throwing off his back foot and led to a high throw in the red zone, which led to an interception that basically was the game deciding play. Um, they had another call, bad call at the end of the game, but you know. It, it, I don't know if they would have went down the field and got into the end zone to win that game or not. Uh, it's just a, a, another key game that kind of keeps people who are not on the Kirk Cousin bandwagon, you know, alive and have something to point to. Um, the last, you know, three games that have kind of really mattered at home, the Dallas game at the beginning of the season last year in the red zone, try to extend the lead and basically put that game away throws a pick in the red zone coming down to the end of the game last year against the Giants, basically winning your end for a playoff um, berth. Um, they're driving on the move and uh, he throws a late game interception. And then this one uh, here as well. So it's just a case of, he's just got to, you know, step into his throws and, you know, be accurate. So he doesn't, leave balls high and they get picked off like he did this past weekend. Um, it just looked like he was really bothered by the pressure. And if teams start seeing that they can make him, you know, be inaccurate by, you know, being around them, then that's what's going to happen all season. They could run right. the ball a little bit more to help him out, but Jay Gruden doesn't do that. So I'm pretty much going to give up on that. Go ahead, Jess. So one, a few things. One, uh, um, Jay Gruden's play calling, not very good. Uh, it's, sometimes I don't think I think his play calling was actually okay mm-hmm. I just think that the quarterback just wasn't very good so you know he wasn't with, accurate and then with the yeah. quarterback also doesn't help that you just lost like two of your very most you just lost two very very targets in Garzone and in, in DJX right right and Pryor did not have a very good game oh no he uh, did not it seemed to be maybe forcing the ball to him a little bit and you know, just 
instead of just kind of playing in the flow of the game and trying to really, you know, showcase him. So that might have been something that, you know, got Cousins off his game. But more than anything, his footwork was just bad. I'm really big when it comes to quarterbacks and their feet. And the first thing I start watching when they start looking inaccurate is, you know, how are they? How are their feet looking? And he wasn't stepping into any of the throws. Anytime he thought pressure was coming, he was fading back and just trying to throw with his arm. And he doesn't have a good enough arm to do that. I was encouraged by the defense, even though we still couldn't get off the field on third and long. Put a lot of pressure on uh, Went. Uh, seemed to be you know good pressure for all four quarters, which is something that's been a problem for years and years and years. So I'm encouraged. Hopefully the secondary can kind of you know work out some kinks. And uh, we'll see what we get going forward. So next up, we'll talk about just uh, kind of the biggest controversy that came out of the week. And that would be Adrian Peterson and Sean Payton on the sidelines. Uh, Adrian Peterson, of course, now a member of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Odd couple at best (laughs) um, when it comes Mm -hmm. to his game and what the Saints like to do. But uh, he's there. And uh, I think Adrian Peterson got a total of like eight carries or something throughout the whole game. and it seems very predictable um, when he's going to get the ball, and uh, he just wasn't effective. So, Jesse, do you see Adrian Peterson sticking it out in, in New Orleans? Or, or you know, it, it just seems such an odd fit in the first game that it doesn't look like there's any way he's going to have fun or a productive season. I mean, the fact that he's been, like, it feels like he's been dropped to, what, what the running back, the second choice running back at this point? Because he was out for so many plays during the game that, you know, it, you know then, we, then you see, what's his name, Dalvin could just break his record right in front of his face while he's having the worst game, like one of the, not the best games of his career. And then all that spiciness between, between Peyton and, and ugh. let me try that again. I think I'm falling. All that spicing, okay, five, four. Three, two. So then you see that whole little back and forth spiciness between Sean Payton and AP. Um, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't. I don't think it's going to work. But like you know, just give me the ball. I I got this, and I can play. And then you just see him not produce anything on the field. It'll be interesting it, to see. But yeah, it's it just seems like it. You know, I don't. They already had uh, a rotation kind of going between Kamara and. Ingram, and then you add Peterson to the mix. I mean, there's not enough footballs to go around running the ball. And then, you know, Sean Payton is not really a run, run, run type of play caller. So, you know, I, I just don't understand what they told Adrian Peterson was going to happen for them to be confident that he could go there and and be productive. And, and because Adrian Peterson is the type of guy who doesn't really start getting yards until like the third quarter. He has to get, you know, 15, 20 touches before he really gets going good so you know this isn't going to work unless he gets you know he they run his favorite play every time he's in the game and they hit it for 10 or 15 yards or whatever so it's going to be very interesting um i know the arizona cardinals have a deficiency at running back now that david johnson uh, hurt his wrist and he's going to be out for about two or three months if i was them after seeing that game on monday night i would have been on the phone trying to trade for adrian peterson I think it's also a case of, you know, it's a, really, it's a star running back who's available on the market. Let's get him. Um, right. That's all that really screams up to me. All right. I'm just still glad that Adrian Peterson didn't go to the Giants because 
I was very, very, very afraid that that was what was going to happen because that was a better fit for him just because they have the deficiency and they really want to run the football to take a lot of pressure off uh, Eli Manning and then just open up the field for Odell Beckham and, you know, the receivers that they have now. So very glad that Adrian Peterson didn't go to the Giants. So. <laughs> just a reminder, you are listening to Know the Score. You can find us on cspn.us. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. So now we're going to talk about a little bit of college football that happened this past weekend as we had the best matchup between top five teams as we had Oklahoma go into the horseshoe and defeat Ohio State 31-16, avenging the loss that they had last year when Oklahoma uh, lost to Ohio State in Norman. Uh, Baker Mayfield played a fantastic game, made some fantastic throws, NFL caliber throws, got a lot of people on and off the field during and after the game. Uh, after the game, Baker Mayfield grabbed the Oklahoma flag, made a whole lap around the horseshoe, gathered his team in the middle of the field, and planted the Oklahoma flag. So, see, I know you like the extracurricular stuff more than the actual on the field stuff. Baker, did Baker Mayfield move up the ranks in your ass for that stunt? I mean, I think Rita said it best when he said, I haven't seen him run like that since he tried to run from the police when he was caught for the DWI. But I get the emotion, especially how he felt all bent up after the Ohio fans went down to Oklahoma and were singing OHIO, which they do everywhere because Ohio State fans are everywhere. That's a fact. I, I, it, yeah, but. Um, I didn't really see that coming, that kind of dropping come from the Oklahoma. Maybe it's just because I see them, you know, oh, they're really great. They're really great. Oh, they just got blown. He's got the brakes beaten off of them by XYZ team. So, I mean, it was fun to see them actually be great for a while there, especially against Ohio State, whose fans are everywhere. And, of course, you're going to find one weeping if you just turn the corner. So, that was fun. Uh Yes, this is the new Oklahoma, coached by Lincoln Riley, who's taken over for Bob Stoops. Uh, you have to give a big credit to Mike Stoops, who is still the defensive coordinator, as they made J.G. Barrett uh, for the second game in a row for Ohio State fans just look inept. Um, a lot of people are starting to get restless with J.G. Barrett and his efforts at quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, just talk about you know his effort. He's been struggling. Um, he even he struggled against Indiana uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Due to some turnovers, he finally, you know, got a chance to make a few plays. So his stats look pretty good against Indiana in the opening game. But, uh, yeah, his stats did not look very good in this game. And Oklahoma's, I mean, uh, you know, held basically Ohio State to less than 20. So uh, what do you think about JT Barrett? Has he got one more game to kind of get his stuff together before he sees the bench? I'm sure he will. Um, I remember Urban Meyer said that, you know, yes, his confidence has been shaken, but it's not really a good look to just bench him. But I feel like that benching is coming sooner rather than later if the this performance keeps up. Um, yeah, so so good luck to JT Barrett. Hopefully he can he can put it all together. He's kind of in a tough spot having to you know follow Cardell Jones, and you know last year he he had a lot of help to get to you know to, to the playoffs. But now <laughs> they're really relying on him, and uh, so far he just hasn't come up big. So we'll he's see. Not really that cor- he's not really that kind of quarterback that like oh yeah you can rely on him. He's not like like Deshaun Watson last year where you know, just put the game on his shoulders. He got, or Lamar Jackson, or just put the game on his shoulders. He'll run, he'll throw, he'll do what he has to do to play the game. I don't think JT Barrett, JT Barrett needs weapons and JT 
Barrett cannot carry the as, as you can see from that game, he hasn't had the pieces to put it all together. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, the reigning and defending Heisman Trophy winner, uh, he just had a ho hum 525 yards total offense, six touchdown day versus my North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, in a 47-35 victory on Saturday. Lamar Jackson, basically the forgotten man coming into college football this year. I don't know how that could happen, considering <laughs> that, you know, very rarely do we get the Heisman Trophy winner coming back, and let alone it be a quarterback. So, um, you know, he just had to remind y'all, if, just in case y'all forgot, that he was still here and he was still great. Um, just talk about kind of Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, kind of the disrespect that he's gotten so far in the first, you know, leading up into the college football season. And after two weeks, he's got like a thousand yards total offense. I think um, the reason why he's been quote unquote disrespected is because everyone's looking at Sam Darnold for, you know, oh my God, he's going to win the Heisman. You know, um, I think that's where that disrespect quote unquote comes from. Um, I mean, now that he's had another season, he's had his freshman season under his belt. And so he's even said he's worked on the mechanics and how to be a better quarterback so he can improve upon his performance last year you know, to be an even more threatening quarterback this year. But I'm really, really surprised on how North Carolina played that game. That's what really stuck out to me the most. Um, and like you said, as you, someone who watches, you, someone who watches North Carolina football regularly, did you expect them to fall off like they did? I mean, sure, they were going against um, Lamar Jackson, but did you see, really see that falling off a cliff like it did? Um. Carolina's kind of their issue the past few years has really been their defense. And uh, it was very evident early on that uh, Louisville could kind of get anything they wanted from a throwing standpoint, but they were kind of holding Lamar Jackson's running down. Um, So he was just kind of beating them with his arm. But then there about the midway through the second quarter, he kind of started unleashing his running ability and he took one like 55 yards, like kind of up the middle, gliding in for a touchdown. And from about that point on, yeah, it was on. And, uh, you know, yeah, I kind of figured it would be that bad. I didn't, I didn't think that North Carolina would actually score that many points once they got rolling. But, um, you know, Carolina's offense is, is pretty potent. They just didn't have enough to try to stop them on defense. And that's probably going to be their problem all year is they're going to be in a bunch of shootouts with teams, um, and they'll put up their short points, but they just can't stop anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So leading into this week of college football, we don't have too many, um, you know, ranked teams going up against each other as, you know, now we're kind of getting into the part of the schedule where we're getting the big dogs against kind of the, the lesser teams and the, you know, in-state small schools. But we do have three premier games that we're going to preview here. We're going to talk about Tennessee and Florida. Uh, Tennessee got a very uh, shaky come from behind win against Georgia Tech in the opener. And then, of course, they played uh, uh, Chattanooga State or somebody like that and got a big blowout win. Florida, very shaky on offense against Michigan. Uh, probably should have uh, gotten shut out, but Michigan had a couple of turnovers that led directly to points. Um, big battle in the SEC, two old rivals that do not like each other. Uh, Twitter will definitely be a fun place on Saturday afternoon between these two teams. Jesse, do you have a, a preference or feel for either one of these two teams or who goes, who's going to win this game? It's going to be in the swamp for mm-hmm. what it's worth. Mm-hmm. It's a Jim McElwain-led team. Hmm. Uh, Malik Sire didn't look too great last week. But then again, neither did Tennessee. That's why I feel like this game was a flip of a coin on who would win. Um, I don't know. Something... 
something about this game is like I, I, I'm going to predict Tennessee to win this game in the swamp, um, just because there's still some issue like the communication issue that Malik Zaire had with his his offense. It you know yeah sure there's a lot to be worked on, and I guess he didn't have a lot a whole lot of time with his team because he was finishing up his program at Notre Dame. But yeah, I'm going to guess Tennessee on that game. I don't know why, but that's what my instincts are telling me. Okay, yeah. I- this has always been one of my favorite games to watch, especially when it's in Florida, just a night game atmosphere is what it used to be when it was, you know, the primetime matchup in the SEC uh, before Alabama got rolling again. Um, I, I think that Tennessee has the better quarterback, and usually when it comes down to games, I start picking them. That's kind of the first and last place I look. And I just think that in the second half of that Georgia Tech game, the opener, uh, their, their quarterback found some confidence and kind of got some um, cohesion with his wide receivers. And, and I think that's going to, you know, bode well for Tennessee. Like you said, uh, Florida just having a, a graduate transfer come in, try to pick up their offense in such a short time. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time. He's going to need to play one of those, you know, weaker schools so he can kind of get like a full speed practice and, and get some confidence. And uh, the Tennessee defense is pretty nasty. Uh, they actually got after Georgia Tech pretty good in the second half of that game and in overtime. So I'll give Tennessee the nod on that one. And give a big shout-out to Jay to the Max. She's the biggest Tennessee ball fan I know. Next up, we get Clemson going against Louisville, the defending national champions, going up against the uh, last year's Heisman Trophy winner. Um, Clemson, of course, does not have Deshaun Watson and all of those NFL-caliber players that they had on their team last year. Uh, last year, Louisville came within one yard of defeating Clemson and probably knocking them out of the college football playoffs. Jesse, do you think that Lamar Jackson uh, could, you know, redeemed himself this year and they knock off the defending national champions? Uh, I think it's possible, uh, but Clemson's defense is better than North Carolina. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot tougher than the game they put up against North Carolina. Uh, just because, like I said, defense is that much better. Uh, but And also, <clears throat> yeah, I, I – yeah. Like I said, once again, I'm I'm going to go with Clemson in this game, even though Lamar, I think, will have a really great game, but it's going to be a lot tougher for Lamar to score points. So, Right. Um, If you had to look, even though Clemson has an unproven quarterback, the Louisville defense did give up 35 points to North Carolina who had a uh, Brandon uh, Jones as a transfer from LSU, and they had a redshirt freshman as their two quarterbacks in that game. So, um, yeah, you would think that, you know, uh, the Clemson quarterback would have a little bit easier task than Lamar Jackson going back the other way. But, you know, Lamar Jackson is so special that if he can kind of keep it within a one-possession game and Louisville's defense can get one stop and get him the ball in the last few minutes, uh, anything can happen. Uh, So, uh I'm like you. I think Clemson, just based on their defense being a little bit tougher, will kind of get one or two more stops or maybe that crucial turnover that will help them out in the end. And then our final game will be the Texas Longhorns versus the USC Trojans, a rematch of the 2006 National Championship game. Basically, probably in a lot of people's mind, the greatest college football game ever played, at least in the modern era of the BCS anyway. Uh, of course, Vince Young with the last second touchdown in the corner of the uh, um, to knock off the best team that probably any of us had ever seen, the USC Trojans of Leonard Bush, Lindell White. Uh, uh, they had um, 
think Jarrett, Dwayne Jarrett was uh, their big time wide receiver. Um, Texas is in a rebounding mode. Tom Herman got his first win last week. Um, USC defeated Stanford. Um, Darnell, you know, put up some good numbers. Uh, Can Texas go out there and shock the world this weekend? Not this week. (laughs) Maybe another week. No, I don't see it happening here. Nope. Nope. Nothing from Texas, huh? Mm -mm. Nope. Um, As a matter of fact, when you can't stop the run, and that makes you susceptible to um, a pretty decent passing attack, then I have no clue what Texas can do against SC. They just don't. I don't. They have the talent. They have the team speed, but something's wrong. And I don't think one week, two weeks, or three weeks is going to fix it. I'm extremely pessimistic with Texas. And one more thing too. I, why are we selling this game as a rematch of a game that was over ten years ago? When the teams aren't even, neither team is on the levels that they were back then. I mean, it's you're, we're building this up as a clash to the Titans to sell viewers, and that also, that pretty much tells you that they know it's going to be a, either a blowout or pretty unwatchable. Well, everybody loves nostalgia, Tyler. So if they can sell it, they're going to put it on you. You know, they love selling these games based on nostalgia. Like, oh, remember that championship game? It might could happen again. Yeah, because it was an upset when Texas won that night. It will definitely be an upset if Texas somehow finds a way to pull it off this weekend. Yeah, and then they're going to keep telling us, oh, we need to be patient with this team. Like, no, that's fine. Um, Yeah, the, that's that's going to be a problem because uh, yeah. Herman said he could fix he could fix what was wrong. So uh, he, he, was, he was supposed to turn this thing around right away. So we, we already know that that's – it was probably unrealistic to begin to begin with, but here's the thing: uh, <laughs> look at the guy that he replaced, and this is his ta- this is this is Charlie's talent. So we're gonna see what what, what happens, but I- I'm just not sure that Texas is really uh, defensively. They're just they just seem like three steps slower than everybody else. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch if they can keep up with, uh, especially on defense, if they can hang with uh, USC's pro-style attack. And uh, like you guys said, Sam Darnold uh, looked like he you know, hit his stride last week. He kind of struggled in the first game. Second game, he looked a lot sharper, a lot cleaner. So we'll see what what you know what transpires in that one. At this time, just want to let you know that this episode of Know the Score is brought to you by Skull Candy Headphones. You guys need some great audio listening devices. You need those for listen to podcasts or listen to your music or, you know, if you're a professional editor and you need some good headphones to dial in the sound, go to Skull Candy Headphones through CSPN.us. Visit our website at CSPN.us. Click on the banner that says support our podcast. Click on the Skull Candy banner and do your shopping as you normally would. Some of that money that you use to purchase those Skull Candy Headphones comes back to us. And also through using the code CSPN. You get free shipping on your order. That's right. Those new Skull Candy headphones will come to you free of charge. So please support the podcast. Get some great listening devices through Skull Candy. And support the podcast and everything that we do here at CSBN.us. So this time we're going to preview week two of the NFL. We're going to pick out you know big games nationally and the games that we care about as the host. 
So first up, Sunday Night Football, we've got the Packers versus the Falcons. Uh, this is going to be the first Atlanta Falcons game, regular season game, in the new arena. So it's going to be a showcase of the arena and, uh, you know, the city of Atlanta. And we've got Aaron Rodgers and the hot, you know, flying offense, we think, of the Packers coming in. Um, Falcons have a new offensive coordinator, Steve Sartesian. Their offense looked a little bit different this week. Uh, wasn't quite explosive as it was last year as far as big plays down the field to Julio Jones and uh, Sanu. Um, so, Tyler, what do you think? Handicap this uh, this game going into week two. Usually the biggest jump uh, in the NFL is usually from week one to week two. Uh, do we expect the shootout? Um, huh. Well, I think that we can expect some points. I would say take the over. Uh, they're going to be able to go up and down the field. I think Green Bay's offense will fine-tune some pieces. But at the end of the day, Atlanta just has too many weapons, and I think it will be a repeat of the uh, of the uh, playoffs where Matt, Matt Ryan is just going to have some room to find the receivers. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Atlanta's two-back attack will have room to run. Uh I think you just just have a case of just team speed all over the place, and I just think that the Packers will be just one playmaker short. Um, Atlanta is still bet. Atlanta's actually better defensively. Uh, they did show some life uh, against the Bears last week, um, even though uh, uh, you had a solid performance from rookie Tariq Cohen. Uh, he was able to get outside and make some make some plays and use their speed against them. However, um, I think just Atlanta just has a little bit more defensive talent, and they can keep uh, the pack at bay just enough. I think the first one, first one to thirty wins. Uh, looking at the pack, uh, I mean Atlanta taking down the pack. Uh, I would say thirty-one uh, twenty-four. All right, Miss Jesse, what say you? Packers and the Falcons. Mm, I'm gonna go with the Falcons, but I think it's going to be. I think it'll be like a similar scoreline, but um, more of a shootout. Uh, so, maybe, okay, let me say not as similar score on, but I think it'll be out. Well, okay. have the Falcons winning. There we go. That makes more sense. Um, yeah, this would be a very interesting game because, you know, the strength of the Packers are definitely their offense and their wide receivers, and the strength of the Falcons is their secondary. Their secondary is pretty good, uh, but they did get tired in the, you know, last big high-profile game that they played against the Patriots. Uh, Mike Lennon, you know, found some room to move the ball up and down the field against them. So, um, I think I'm going to go with the Packers with the upset here. Um, I think the Packers, I think Ty Montgomery gives them just enough possession to where they don't have to allow Aaron Rodgers for everything. And uh, so I think they'll probably win the gun on a field goal. Aaron Rodgers coming down at the end, 34-31 Packers. Next marquee matchup will be the surprising Minnesota Vikings, fresh off the and win on Monday night against the Saints, versus the Pittsburgh Steelers who won a surprisingly close game against the Cleveland Browns. So, Jesse, since I know you have so much love for the Steelers, well, let's just start <laughs> with this one. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with my heart and my, like, petty brain and say that I, I'm going to think the Vikings are going to win this one just because uh, I have not seen Sam Bradford look so good, especially linking up with, with Stephon Diggs, straight out of Maryland, by the way, um, to win the game like he did on Monday. So, yeah, the weapons are really good there. I'm um, sure I know Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, but I felt that the Vikings game on Monday was something else. So I'm just going to go with that because I don't really want to see the Steelers win either. So, All right. Tyler, 
your thoughts on the Vikings and the Steelers? Like you said, uh, Dalvin Cook, um, you know, came in earlier uh, and broke Adrian Peterson's record on Monday night as the most yards gained from scrimmage by a rookie running back. I think he had 120 yards or 110 yards somewhere around there. Um, he seems to be the real deal. Um, like Jesse said, uh, Stefan Diggs had maybe his breakout performance, uh, two touchdowns, well over 100 yards, receiving um, Adam Thielen on the other side. Uh, he had double-digit receptions and over 150 yards receiving. Of course, the Vikings defense is a monster. Um, this is really going to be a, the test for the Steelers because everybody knows their weaknesses are secondary. So this will be a good test for them this week. What do you think? Um. I think this game is actually going to be decided on the opposite side of the ball where Roethlisberger and Bell are going to have to figure out how to get in space against this Minnesota defense. Uh, I think that you have to get your, get your matchups, find Martavius Bryant, uh, find, uh, find Antonio in, in, you know, in one-on-one coverage, uh, you know, hit your, hit your tight end, uh, Jesse James, you know, Pittsburgh's going to have to have to attack uh, Minnesota's defense and not be one-dimensional. I mean, they they have to be balanced. Uh, otherwise, uh, Minnesota is just going to, you know, take the ball and, and try to run it down Pittsburgh's throat, which is odd for me to see, you know, Pittsburgh being attacked on the ground. But that's the way to beat the Steelers. Um, you know, the the Browns may have may have shown something control the ball and keep uh, keep those guys off the field and maybe Minnesota can do that as well uh, you know if um, if Dalvin cook can uh, if Dalvin cook carries average about four to five yards a carry against the Pittsburgh defense and if Minnesota wins time of possession I would not be surprised if they come home with the upset. Yeah, this is going to be a very good uh, test for the Vikings secondary as well. Um, you know, they've got the equipment to shut down Antonio Brown, but, you know, Bryant on the other side is just as dangerous as Jesse James, Eli Rogers. So we're going to see, you know, just how good that uh, secondary is. If they can get some rush on Ben, it's going to help him out. And it's going to go same thing on the other side for Steelers on defense. If they can get around Bradford, maybe hurry him. You know, Bradford doesn't always do the best for pressure. He he will throw you the ball, so that can definitely help out the Steelers. Um, I think, like you, I, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I just think that, you know, their defense up front is just a little bit stouter than the Steelers at this point, and I think that they can control Bell in the running game, and, and that will help them in their passing defense as well. So now for Jesse's the game of the week, we have the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. So the new Browns versus the old Browns. Uh, Jesse, you guys going to continue your dominance of Cleveland? Three words. Don't embarrass me, man. Don't embarrass me out here. Um, yeah, so I picked up the Ravens defense this week, and if they don't get like all the points this week, I, 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 mm, mm, mm. Just, I understand, yes, the Browns have a better rush defense than obviously Cincinnati did, but I think we could do something on the other side of that ball defensively. So don't embarrass me, that's all. Yeah, Deshaun Kaiser, you know, he played pretty well. He 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 had some flashes, he had some mistakes, but you know, he he kept the Browns in the game and, and Isaiah Correll and Duke Johnson, uh, like Tyler was saying, controlled the ball against the Steelers. And it made that game a lot closer than if we were just looking at stats than it should have been because I mean Antonio Brown went crazy. He almost had two hundred yards receiving in that game. Tight end for the Steelers had two touchdowns. 
So um, I, I think the Browns, you know, they're, they're going to play you guys tough, but I, I think the Ravens will find enough to win. Tyler, what, what do you think about this game? Always go with when you have a solid defense going up against a rookie quarterback, nine times out of ten, go with the defense. Um, Baltimore looked like they they switched up looks as they did with Andy Dalton, which led in, led to some interceptions. Andy clearly was not seeing what he was what he was throwing into. Um, I think they they had Dalton confused. I think Deshaun is going to even though with this conservative game plan, I think uh, Baltimore tends to disguise their coverages a lot, uh, particularly whether or not they decide to bring. Uh, Terrell Suggs as a rushing in, or if they drop him back in his own coverage and take the take the running back out to play. So I I tend to go with the defense in a low scoring game. Uh, first one to first one to three touchdowns should win this one, just like uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Ravens twenty four, Browns fourteen. All right. The game that I care about the most this weekend, the Washington football team travels out to L.A. to play the Rams. So this this is going to be like the um, Spider-Man gif of the Spider-Man looking at each other as the Redskins offense and the Rams offense are basically one and the same. Uh, The advantage is the Rams have much better defense and a much better defense coordinator and probably a better running back. So it's not really a lot going for us uh, if you're a Redskins fan this week. Um, this you also could, say you have the better um, head coach over there, who's also the offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, as you, you will hear me say forever and ever, Sean McVay is the one that got away. Um, yeah, I, 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 this doesn't look good for the Washington football team. They always have trouble as long as Jay Green has been a coach against a team that has any type of formidable defense. The Rams definitely have that. Um, Aaron Donald is actually going to be back. This is going to be his first game after a holdout. Um, so he's going to be highly motivated to come out here and play. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Washington football team is smart and they play a, some, you know, no huddle, hurry up kind of offense in the first half, kind of tire him out. Maybe, he, you know, get him out of the game because he's not in shape. Uh, this would be a good game to spread them out, put as many of their cornerbacks on the field, and then try to run. Uh, again, the Kirk Cousins needs to not have pressure. Um, to be an effective quarterback. And the one way you can kind of guarantee he doesn't get pressured is if you stick to the running game. Uh, We'll see. Like I said earlier in the show, I don't have that faith in Jay Gruden, but, you know, maybe he'll try to, you know, outsmart Wade Phillips because Wade Phillips knows all our plays. So Jessica, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to guess that the Washington makes the Rams look really, really good on Saturday. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just you know, Washington's a mess all up and down the just everywhere on the ball. I don't see anything positive that can even give me an inkling towards a Washington victory. So I'm going to go with the Rams. I hope that you're wrong. I hope they go Jekyll and Hyde and, and Kirk Cousins comes out and actually plays a pretty good game against a really good defense. Uh, hasn't really been his forte, but hey, it's no time like the present to change the narrative. So hopefully he steps up. Tyler, you got any thoughts on uh, Rams and Redskins? Yeah, um, I, this is interesting to me. Um, Jared Goff actually has weapons. Um, I, I, I'm 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 a little befuddled about this because I'm not sure what 
uh, what the Redskins can do to counteract all of the playmakers that are that are going to be on the field, particularly with Watkins and some other guys. And the Rams have a solid defense too. So uh, the Redskins are going to have to generate a pass rush and keep uh, keep Goff off balanced. And quite honestly, I I don't know. Ryan Cam going to play going to have to play out of his mind essentially. Uh, he's going to win his matchup. Well, well, the one good thing from the game against Philadelphia was the pass rush was good. I mean, Carson Palmer pulled some Tony Romo stuff and probably saved himself four sacks where guys yeah, had – Wednesday to evade the rush. You're right. Where guys had their hands on him and just didn't get him down. So I, I feel good from that standpoint that, you know, the pass rush was there and it was consistent. It's the offense because that's – what this team, if they're going to get anywhere this year, is going to be because their offense takes them there. And they've tend to start to slow the past few years, but this is the one year with the way the schedule shuts set up that they really can't afford to do that. And, you know, kind of taking that win for granted last week against the Eagles, you know, we've kind of been on a winning streak against them. Really need to somehow buck all the logic and, and get this win. And if they could somehow do it impressively, that would definitely, you know, boost confidence to everybody who roots for them and for the team themselves. But now we'll move on to our final game that we're going to preview this week as we're going to talk about Tyler's team, the Dallas Cowboys, facing the Denver Broncos. Uh, Dallas is traveling up to mile high. Uh, Broncos, Monday Night Football, the late game, uh, basically uh, at the gun, uh, saved the victory as they blocked the field goal that would have sent the game into overtime. Uh, young Trevor Simeon looked pretty good out there. Uh, C.J. Anderson running the ball had a pretty good night. We already talked about the Cowboys and how they looked against the Giants. So, Tyler, we let you dive into this. Uh, talk about your matchup this week with the uh, Broncos. Um, I'm not a fan of this matchup, um, especially for the reasons I mentioned earlier. The Broncos have a a solid secondary, arguably um, a top five secondary in the league. They do have a pass rush, uh, you know, even better than the Giants. So uh, I don't expect the Cowboys to, to get more than 24 points on the board, which means the defense is going to have to make a play at some point. Uh, you know, somebody, maybe an Anthony Brown or Sean Lee or, you know, somebody's going to have to come up big on the defensive end. Uh, Dallas got to generate a pass rush. Uh, you, you know, when, when, you know, and also Ezekiel Elliott has to, uh, has to show up. He has to control, control the ball. Uh, Dallas needs to be on the winning side of time of possession, as they should. They should dominate uh, running the football. But the key to this game will be the turnover battle. Who is going to make the least amount of mistakes? Dak, Dak Prescott will almost play perfect free football. So, provided he does, that means Trevor Simeon has to match him because it could be one or two turnovers that actually plays whether or not uh, the team decide the team will uh, will win or lose. Uh, you know, I think it's paramount in this game because I don't think the scoring opportunities will be as prevalent as they were for, for either team uh, as they were last week. So uh, win the time of possession, win the turnover battle. And in my in my humble opinion, I think that Dallas has just a little bit more offensive offensive football that and a little bit more explosive playmaking that can, uh, you know, they can squeak by and win this. Uh, I would say 21-17 uh, Dallas. All right. Jesse? Um, I'm going to go with the same score, but for the Broncos. It's because I know that secondary and that defense will do things to trick you and 
forcing you to turn over the ball, which and I think they're going to lose the turnover battle, um, just because, like I said, the Dallas, not the Broncos' defense is just that good, personally. This is going to be a very interesting matchup for me, just because, uh, I, depending on you know how the matchups work out, I don't think that Dallas is going to be able to throw to the outside. So that may render Dez a non-factor totally. So it's going to basically come down to how many times uh, Witten and Cole Beasley can get open and maybe to, you know, uh, Terrence Williams as well. Uh, just kind of the middle of the field. How well can Dak navigate, you know, the middle of the field? That's kind of where he lives. That's where most of his most explosive plays come from in the passing game is finding, you know, uh, Witten and, and Cole Beasley kind of breaking in uh, in the middle of the field or, or starting in the middle of them breaking out after the, you know, outside receivers clear out. So, you know, just how accurate he is with those throws and uh, how, you know, how many of his completions go to those guys. I think if he can work the middle of the field successfully, I think it'll open up just enough room for the Cowboys to maybe hit one over the top. And, you know, Denver doesn't give up a lot of those, but if you can get one, you know, that goes a long way towards mm-hmm. securing a win. So um, I think that's kind of where the Chargers kind of, Failed last week was they couldn't really get a big play on them. They had a couple of chances to get one, but they couldn't catch the ball, or the you know Denver's secondary made a play right at the last second. So you know, I think the Cowboys are actually going to win this game, but it's going to probably be like twenty seventeen. So those are previews for week two in the NFL. Um, you guys want to talk about your fantasy teams real quick? Were you, were you happy with your performances? Uh, I was as. I uh, beat uh, Classic in the first game of our head-to-head matchup, so bragging rights to me. How about you, Jesse? I did okay. Did you win? Um, yeah, I did. I did. I just checked that because I almost forgot for a second there. But, yeah, I won. Um, thanks a lot, Terrence West. I knew that running game was going to be strong, so or at least Classic also helped me remember that the running game was going to be strong. So, thanks for that. All right. Tyler, uh, how's your fantasy team fair? Uh, I was very pleased. I am actually the number one team in the league. I scored the most points uh, with a uh, 99.92. And I definitely credit goes to, and and that was with Matt Ryan on the bench. Uh, I actually started Russell Wilson, uh, but, you know, Jonathan Stewart did well. Dalvin Cook uh, showed up and had a great game. Uh, And also Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs and the Jags defense were, were the big, Big scores for my squad, uh, but uh, got a got a tough one this week. As um, it, it it seems like it's going to be a very close matchup. Uh, as I'm I'm looking, I think I've got. Uh, do I have? Uh, I think I have you this week, Don. I, I I just looked at my team. I haven't really seen to see who I'm going up against. I just got to make sure I check my lineup. So I'll find out on Sunday once I start checking the game stats, once the game starts. So, you know, good luck to everybody in the CSP and Fantasy League, and except for the week that you play me. Uh, but other than that, uh, it's been a, you know, fantasy football is always fun. And uh, hopefully we get some bigger offensive production so we can get some, you know, bigger scores. And yeah, some it, was games. Blow, it was some blowouts, actually. Um, we've got uh, Captain America facing Joe Goodell to prosper. Uh, my team, the Greensboro Aggies, going up against They Don't Want None. Uh, Chick-fil-A on Sunday versus Kings of the Yard. Uh, Grand Diddy's Dogs versus the B-Mac Slaps. Uh, Bad Advice Bone versus Roll Up a Blunt. And Tim Dog Pound versus Eli's Memorabilia Dealers. And uh, should be very interesting uh, interesting week and interesting matchups uh, coming up. Right. But uh, actually, we got, you know, for example, my team, we got the two quarterbacks, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers, going up against each other. So, 
I will have a vested interest. <laughs> yeah, it makes that Sunday night football game mean a lot more because oh yeah, major- majority of the team of our players will probably be have played, so it'll probably come down to who has a better game for that week. So, um, good luck. To, like I said, good luck to all the fantasy football players out there. Hopefully, um, health and prosperity and touchdowns is in your future. Absolutely. So at this point, just uh, look just at- wonder. Oh, great time. I said we got some big injuries this week, so I know guys are scrambling. So don't forget to check your check your uh, waiver wires. If you uh, you know look out for guys like Bears uh, backup linebacker Tariq Cohen. We've already mentioned him. Uh, if you're looking for a receiver, you might want to check out Tennessee Titans uh, Richard Matthews, who's going to be out there. Who was a late round, actually went uh, went undrafted in a lot of leagues. So those are your two. For right now. All right. Just a reminder that this is another score. Another score is brought to you by CSPN. All right. Our final topic, of course, we're going to talk about Jamel Hill. Hashtag we stand with Jamel. As on September 11th, she you know brought that ether to make your skin burn slow to one Donald Trump. Uh, she basically, you know, called it out what it was that, you know, Donald Trump, you know, purports himself to be a white supremacist. He surrounds himself with white supremacists. He's bigoted. He is unfit to do the job of president and he is not a unifier. Of course, that, you know, calls for ESPN to make a response in which they, you know, did the corporate thing that they always have to do to say that they have, you know, discussed Jamel's comments with her. She knows her, you know, the, the seriousness of her, you know, comments and that, you know, they do not reflect the thoughts and um, wishes and views of ESPN. And that just caused a great fallout. People, you know, wanting Jamel to be fired. And then, of course, people on the other side, you know, standing up for Jamel and, and you know, saying, hey, ESPN, you guys are going to lose a lot more than you gain if you do do anything to her for speaking out on her personal um, Twitter account. So, Tyler, I know this is a very sensitive subject uh, for you, especially when it comes to just kind of the free speech and the media. Um, what were your initial thoughts, and then how did you felt ESPN dealt with it and just the overall fallout? Um, that's, you know, we're three days in, and, um, you know, Jamel put out, you know, her statement, and she's basically saying, hey, I said what I said, and I'm sorry that uh, ESPN, you know, had to get, you know, attached into this, but, you know, she wasn't backing down on her personal beliefs. Okay. Um, here's, here's where I stood. I stand on this. Um, ESPN had to make their statement. Uh, all things considered, ESPN gets it from both sides. Uh, they are uh, attacked from the right from being too liberal. At the same time, they're also attacked from the left with having conservative views and necessarily having conservative commentators have reign on their own channel. Uh, we can talk about, we can talk about Sage Steele, for example, but uh, overall, I don't mind ESPN making that statement because it's something you have to do as corporate considering that uh, several, uh, actually one of their key personnel in Disney was just on uh, Trump's advisory committee until recently. So no shock there. No shock that uh, several of ESPN's own personnel have not only not commented, but they have just stepped aside from the issue and they will not talk about it on air. Uh, Just because they are a part of the platform 
and the platform is bigger than the situation. They don't want to risk losing the platform and being able to say what they have they have to say, particularly when it comes to social issues. Now, uh, let's add to the to the new to the story. It also became interesting that on yesterday, uh, ESPN tried to remove Jamel off the air, and not only you have to credit Michael Smith, but you also have to credit the members of the National Association of Black Journalists uh, Sports that were on site. Not only did they stand with Jamel, but Michael Smith refused to do the show. He refused to do SportsCenter without Jamel. Uh, that's a testament to not only their friendship, but Smith's commitment to professionalism, free speech, and the right to be able to use the platform as, to carry a message. Uh, we can discuss about the hypocrisy from the White House, uh, you know, all we want to, but I'm just going to speak from the perspective of being a member of the media and using said platform to speak socially. Now, I know that Stephen A. Smith has kind of gotten away with saying some poignant comments directly related to Trump as he has reflected it to Colin Kaepernick's stance on voting. Uh, I know that you can do some things and manipulate your opinion around sports. I, if Jamel had said something to the effect of Trump and his policies and how that affected to sports, then that, that probably wouldn't have even warranted a statement from ESPN. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the platform is more important right now, particularly with all of the athletes willing to speak forward, and they want to use their platform. So it's only right for a, a sports columnist, a sports analyst, or any of us to use our platform as we see fit. I am happy that uh, that her folks stood by her. Uh, some have gone. Some have gone publicly. And I'm sure some have gone privately. But let's remember that she has made a lot of enemies within ESPN, just with her rising, her and, and Smith's rising to the six. Uh, there are people that have already spoken as private sources to other news media that have brought up Linda Cohn's suspension when she discussed ESPN's, uh, ESPN's layoffs and how she was suspended in discussing that talking about how unfair that has been, that she has not been suspended or punished. Uh, you know, so there may be a divide at ESPN now because of this. And she's going to have to, Jamel's going to have to be a lot stronger than she already has been uh, just because of what she's going to have to face probably for the remainder of her career while she works at ESPN. And so will Michael Smith as well. Um, right. Jesse, let me know. bring you in on this conversation since you are, you know, closer to the demographic that Jamel Hill is, as you are a black female who talks sports. And, you know, we know that Jamel faces a lot of criticism. Uh, Bomani faces the same criticisms as in Michael Smith, but Jamel gets it even worse because not only is she a woman, she's also a black woman in this male dominated industry. And it just seems like maybe it was just a day where, you know, some things have been building and maybe she had typed out some things and deleted them. But this particular day, she just aired out what she felt. And so, you know, what were your take on it? And, you know, how do you feel that everything has been handled and, you know, everything that we know now that's coming out later? Um, just your reflections on this whole, uh, you know, controversy. Um, so 
no, she's my hero for what she, well, she's a hero for what she did. Um, just, you know, saying what was on her mind, not deleting it like others would, because, you know, once they get into uh, a bit of a situation, especially with their employers, you know, the first thing people do is just delete the tweets. And, she, and basically, and then with her statement, she's like, I said what I said. And um, I'm not surprised at the, the statement that ESPN came out with, um, just because they're trying to keep viewers. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to inject my personal bias into it, but I don't think it was the right move just because, like, he's not a white supremacist. I'm like, but all right, if your channel is the one that is, like, championing diversity, you can't be like, I'm, we're sorry for what she said. He's not a white supremacist, I promise. So, personally, I didn't really think it was why they did it, but they're not helping the narrative. So, um, here, like, for like I said, and People was bat their eye, like just blink their eyes and keep it moving. Even though, sure they fired him, but I don't know. It's just a stark reminder of what America is and how it's like. Oh no 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 no! He's not. He's not. He's not. He's not a racist. I promise. Like it's white people declaring that white people aren't racists or part of the problem. So yeah, I kind of I'm really happy that Jamel's colleague in their conviction are like, no, we're not. No, you put her back on because. What she she didn't do anything wrong, and especially the White House statement talking about oh she needs to be fired. That's a breach of her First Amendment rights. No, right, right. Um, ESPN could have choose chose some different wording and made the same statement and and got behind her for expressing herself and her personal beliefs and not the way that they put it kind of reprimanded her behind the scenes and still, you know, covered themselves. I think that they that their initial statement could have been worded so much differently and it would not have been, you know, the controversy. It just would have been one volley, which would have been, you know, the initial tweets. But of course, with the response that ESPN comes out with, then it makes it a much bigger deal because now you start dragging in People who think that she shoot, oh, that was too light, or look at ESPN over here, you know, um, you know, uh, covering their tails so they can, you know, keep the racist people watching, you know, so for their ratings and things like that. So it just seems like ESPN just in their quickness to kind of get in front of the situation didn't take enough time to carefully think about what the statement was and what will happen after the statement. Um, just like you two, I'm. Very, very, very proud of Jamel sticking to her guns, not erasing the tweets, coming out today and saying, you know, basically, these are my beliefs. I still feel this way. Nothing has changed just because I got in some hot water. There is some controversy around me. You know, sorry that, you know, I am attached to ESPN. And when people look at me, they see, you know, these four letters ESPN more than they see the person Jamel Hill. And, you know, so sorry for them and, and all the hardship that that's caused them. But as far as what I said and what I believe, nothing's changing. And, you know, for the colleagues of hers and, and Michael Smith and Michael Wilborn, especially to come out and, you know, be the first ones to say that they stand with her and, you know, stick, stick up for her when they try to get her off the air. I'm just glad that people are not running away. And, and at least there are some people out front who are, big names within ESPN who aren't turning their back on her, like, like you guys have said. So um, definitely um, hope she continues to be strong. Um, hope she continues to, you know, be as real as she always has been. I think that's the reason that Michael and Jamel have gotten to where they are is because they're real and, you know, they don't 
pull any punches a lot less than a lot of people over at ESPN, especially through their podcast and uh, kind of the topics that they do bring up on the six, um, you know, they kind of mold it to their own, to their, to, to what the show is for them, not necessarily for what we've always known sports center to be. And, and I think that that's definitely helped her uh, get where she's at. And it's going to definitely help her get through this uh, situation right here. So it's just another reminder that free speech isn't always free, that sometimes it does cost people things. Um, luckily for Jamil did not cost her her job. And, um, you know, hopefully it just makes the next person who feels emboldened, you know, give them a chance to step up and say, Hey, I need to be heard. And, you know, their employer not come down so harsh on them. So at this point, we're going to open it up to our final thoughts. So, Miss Jessica, anything that you'd like to let the people know what you're thinking about this upcoming weekend or something that happened this past weekend that we didn't touch on? Um, I'm, I One image that's really stuck in my mind are the people who hung the banner from Fenway Park. Uh, racism is as American as baseball, something along the lines of that. But, you know, you got to remind the people that, you know, America is quite racist. And people don't like when they're reminded about how racist America can get. That's the one thing that's been really on my mind. I'm going, I'm processing. Uh, Yeah, uh, the story was uh, during the fourth inning of the Boston Red Sox game in Fenway Park on Wednesday night. um, A large banner was unfurled down the green monster that read those exact words that Jesse quoted, that racism is as American as baseball. And uh, the sign was uh, up there for about three or four minutes, basically one batter, one at bat. And then, of course, it was removed and the uh, patrons were removed as well. Um, These were four white kids who basically, you know, their statement was, you know, we were inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. We want white people to understand that, hey, this is an issue. You guys are willing to acknowledge that it exists, but we need to, as white people, step up and, you know, make this go away. And, you know, it's up to us is basically what their um, interview stated to the uh, Boston Globe when they were interviewed outside the stadium once they were removed um, after they unfurled the sign. So, um, you know, good luck to those kids and, you know, providing social change and a very creative way to get uh, their message across. Tyler, uh, final thoughts? You're on mute, Tyler. If you're... Well, well, uh, as I think about uh, upcoming um, upcoming uh, football, uh, it's just interesting to see uh, it's another HBCU homecoming season. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the CIAA rule about collegiate bands. Uh, this this uh, this little week, I'm going to speak about homecoming and how important homecoming is. Uh, beginning next week, uh, several universities will begin homecoming festivities. Uh, just want to let people know that that listen that uh, in the HBCU vernacular, homecoming is a huge deal. Uh, the cities where the colleges reside that host the HBCU homecoming get a minimum of 40% increase in expenditures in the city for that weekend. Uh, Larger cities like my own, it's 70% for the weekend. It's incredible. Uh, Just to let people know that there's, there's pageantry involved uh, in homecoming. Uh, We want to make sure that those who attend uh, HBCU homecoming, uh, go there for the experience, go there f- to enjoy it. Uh, 
And if not, if you don't get a chance to check out an HBCU homecoming, you can always uh, read up on it uh, with whatever school you're interested in, or even check out the undefeated because they will have, they will cover just about every collegiate home, every HBCU collegiate homecoming. Um, it's, it's really special for me being uh, an HBCU grad from North Carolina A&T. Um, A&T is actually had uh, a major impact socially. As a matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I attended the uh, Women's Issues Forum with Angela Rye, uh, Gabrielle Union, and Lisa Ling, uh, hosted by a very good friend of mine, a classmate, uh, Danya Bacchus, who's a ABC News correspondent. Uh, and it's just to remind you that uh, HBCUs do matter, and they are a big part of social change. We've spoken about racism and all the issues that affect people of color, and HBCU institutions are very, very, uh, very, very important when it comes to not only leading the discussion, but in influencing change. So when you attend an HBCU homecoming, just rem- remember the struggles of those that attended said university and provided a way for people to be success- to be successful. And just remember that HBCUs always matter. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Um, my final thoughts, I'm going to give a tip of the cap to the Cleveland Indians as they set the American League record with 21 wins in a row. They have basically, uh, you know, cleared themselves of the Kansas City Royals and the Minnesota Twins in their division. It looks like they're going to coast to win the American League Central. And I'd also like to um, give a big shout out to the fight that's going to happen this weekend between Triple G and Canelo Alvarez. Basically, this is the biggest pure boxing match in boxing. People have been waiting uh, two years for these two guys to to square off against each other, and it's finally going to happen this Saturday. Um, I think Canelo, a little bit bigger fighter, a little bit more punching power, um, is going to be uh, the one to come out and be successful in that fight. But I know that all of boxing is, is very excited. Um, Floyd versus Connor was a spectacle. Uh, this is actually a showcase. So uh, good luck to both of those guys this weekend. And again, a tip of the cap to the Cleveland Indians. 21 wins in a row. So for my co-host, That's So Jesse, that you can find on Twitter, at That's So Jesse, and Tyler Ball. You can find him on Twitter at TA Ball. I'm Don DeLorente. You can find me at Don DeLorente on Twitter. And now you know the score.